Okay, I want to teach you something uh, theological today, but let's start with imagining that I'm holding some kind of fruit. What kind of fruit should I be holding? An apple? I only need one hand for an apple. Last service it was a watermelon, but okay, we'll just use an apple, that's fine. So, uh, what color is my apple? Is this one yellow, red, or green? Yellow apple? A yellow apple. A yellow, little yellow apple. And uh, is it ripe yet or is it not ripe yet? Not ripe yet? Okay, we'll just let it sit on the counter for a while. Little sunshine, it'll be okay in a couple of days, I hope. So, um, you can pretend all kinds of things that you can't see, right? Yeah. But I want to talk about something that you can't see that's not pretend. Well, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit is God. And when we talk about God, we usually talk about Him being what? Father, can you help me? Son and Holy Spirit. And I just want to talk about those words so that especially the younger ones who are here can learn those words. And when we talk about God, we have how many gods? One God, but three persons. And we use that odd word, not people, but persons. And the one God is God, and the three persons are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can't see the Holy Spirit, but He is here. The Holy Spirit came to each one of us, each one of you, point to yourself, during your baptism. And he still lives inside. He's with you all the time. He gave you the faith that you have in Jesus, and He strengthens your faith. The Holy Spirit is God, and He's God who lives with you now. Bless you, Abigail. A little sneeze there. Let's all say the words one more time for the little ones. And congregation, would you help us, please? So our God is triune. There's one God, and he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's say those again, and maybe put your fingers up, and you can touch your fingers. So he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take away all of our sins. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit who gave us faith in Jesus and who helps us to believe and to live in a way that pleases you. And so we thank you, God, for teaching us that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit, the sanctifier who creates faith and sustain it and sustains it in each one of our hearts. My dear brothers and sisters, the word of God for our meditation on this festival of Pentecost is a prophecy about Pentecost from Isaiah chapter 32. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, the pasture for flocks, till the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. 
Justice will dwell in the desert and righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. This is the word of the Lord. Isaiah the prophet seems to me as if he preached within the walls of Jerusalem for his whole ministry. And he was sent by God to proclaim to Judah what was coming, to warn them about what was on its way. The physical threat was the Assyrian army. The spiritual threat was unbelief and being condemned for their sins. You see, when the northern tribes of Israel had broken away from, the, from, from, from Judah and the fellowship of the true church, they maybe thought that they had adva the advantage of far superior numbers. They were, there were many more times, uh, many times more people in their new, more, how do they think of it? More open, more friendly, more inclusive, more inviting, more liberal church than in the old stuffy one. They rejected the, the, the requirements uh, for making ministers. They, appoint whoever they, they appointed whoever they wanted to. Men and women, and who, anybody who wanted to, to be a priest could be one without any mention of the divine order, the divine call, the will of God, or even the basic requirements of serving God's good people. Everyone did as they saw fit. And it was an abomination. It was a sin. And God condemned them for that sin. Now they were warned by God through the prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, uh, uh, Micah, and Isaiah in particular. Their land became deserted. The, uh, the, the northern kingdom was conquered. The things Isaiah describes in our text had already happened up north. Um, what, uh, the strongholds and the castles and the citadels and the high walls had been knocked over and crushed and destroyed, and it had become a wasteland that wild animals loved to roam around in. And it could happen again. This is Isaiah's message. In fact, because of Jerusalem's many sins... It was going to happen again. But the prophet offers the people of the south this comfort. The destruction itself will be destroyed. The land will be restored. The promise of the Savior is still ours. Now, the king in, Hezekiah, in, in, in Isaiah's time was Hezekiah. And under that king, the people would flourish during and after the Assyrian threat had come all the way up to here and then receded back like a tide. But the prophet warns that they're going to go back to their sins. Another crisis is going to come to, to Judah. Not This time, not the Assyrian crisis, but the Babylonian army is going to come. And it wouldn't, wouldn't be the neighbors up north who would be carried off into captivity. It's going to be Jerusalem and Judah. All of, not those towers, but these towers, this citadel, this house of the Lord will be knocked down and ruined, and the wild animals are going to come and roam here. 
in these empty streets and chew on the grass and the dandelions that grow up between the cracks of our sidewalks, flocks and herds of animals that are owned by nobody are going to come and graze and chew up your mom's flower beds because you and your mom aren't going to be there. You and, and her and everybody you know is going to be walking away into exile for a lifetime. God warned them, and God warns us. He says his punishment is coming. God shows us this punishment by punishing others, like he had showed Judah by punishing Israel, like he had showed Israel by punishing Edom and Aram and Tyre and Sidon and the nations around them. Because when we keep at our sins and forget about his warnings and pay no attention to them, it is his word that we are avoiding. It is the law of God that we are breaking. And therefore, the punishment that's coming is not merely the ruin of our towns and our villages and our gardens and our bookshelves. But the punishment for sin is on us. It's the punishment of our bodies and souls in hell. It is the torture and, and agony of hell with pain in the mind, pain in the body, pain in the spirit, pain that is... Is, 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 causes those who suffer it to remember with each passing eternal moment in, 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 in perdition that this is the punishment for being God's enemy through sin, for becoming the devil's slave, which leads to unbelief. And there is no rest or recovery from that punishment. And so the prophet cries out, Lord God, living God, God of armies, God of wrath, the God who sees all, what hope is there for us? Well, shortly after this chapter, just a couple chapters later, Isaiah describes the hope that we do have by describing the one who would be cut off in our place. He was cut off from the land of the living. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. Do those words make your heart jump just a little bit? I'm so glad the Lord tells us about our Savior Jesus. Is, 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 does your flesh, maybe just the muscles in your shoulders relax just a little bit over this? Does, does, does your spirit get set at ease? These things show that you have faith in Christ. Christ who came to deliver us from this agony by bearing it himself on the cross. Fully human, Jesus was subject to God's will and could be and was punished, body and mind and spirit, for all of our sins. Fully God, the punishment that Jesus endured 
has value enough, infinite value, to cover over the sins of the whole world. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit is to put faith in our hearts to help us, to make us trust in Jesus, in that forgiveness, our only Savior. The Spirit has entered into each one of us at our baptism, and all uh, certainly in, in each of our cases, the, the echo of the words spoken in our baptism have faded away into silence. The water of your baptism and mine has long since dried up. But the effect of your baptism runs through your whole life. The Holy Spirit who entered into you, body and soul, stays with you even today. And the presence of the Holy Spirit continues and brings many more blessings day by day by day. And those blessings, faith, hope, love, true sonship, joy, peace, and more, those are given by the Spirit who dwells in us. And Isaiah's prophecy shows that although Jerusalem and Judah would be punished, chastised, scolded by God to bring them back in repentance, they would repent, and God would grant them forgiveness and peace, and he would even, even eventually bring them back to their own land. But Isaiah's prophecy goes beyond that. Long after their lifetime, the Savior would come to preach and teach and extend God's reach even into the cross, to death itself, to redeem his people, you and me, out of death, out of the grave. With the result that, that, that all of the results of sin in our lives are undone. All of us who put our faith in Jesus will never have to endure the pain, the agony of hell. What we have are the fruits and the effects of true righteousness, which is faith in Christ. Now, the, the, the effect, or in Hebrew, the work of righteousness is simply a gift that we receive. Isaiah calls it quietness and confidence that we have in our relationship with Christ. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit entered into the apostles to give them courage and those special abilities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in many different languages, in the native tongues of people who were there visiting at Jerusalem that Pastor Ilhoffen recited for us in that famous passage from Acts chapter 2. But that Holy Spirit has given us gifts too. Not as spectacular as that, but no less miraculous. Isaiah wants us to remember especially that the greatest of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is our faith, is what gives us all of the other gifts from God. Without faith, we would have nothing at all. Without faith, we would be enemies of God, we would be hostile to God, but having faith and having this new status of having Christ's righteousness means that we have the certainty of everlasting peace, of having a permanent home with Christ in heaven, secure, undisturbed forever. 
This is the Holy Spirit's message. Your sins are forgiven. You are at peace with God. Now, this is also a good day to talk about the language that we use when we describe the Holy Spirit. I tried to introduce our children to some of that language that we speak of, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the triune God, although he has three persons, is one God. And what we mean by person is what the ancient church always meant by person in this context. And it's what we confess in the very first paragraphs of our Augsburg Confession and its explanation, the Apology, when we learn that a person is not a part or property of another, but that which exists by itself. Uh, shall I give you a bad illustration? So my arm is part of me. It is not a separate person, but it is part of who I am. If I were to uh, lose my arm, if I would gesture too sharply and it would just fly off of my body and whack into the wall over there and fall onto the floor, that wouldn't be a separate person. It would still be a part of me. But my, my brother is not a part of me. My sons are not part of me. And so it is with the persons of the triune God. Individual persons, but only one God, in a mystery, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but just one God. Distinct from one another, but unified together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we often think of them as having specific roles in our lives and in the plan of our salvation. The Father is our creator, and he still preserves us. The Son is our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord, and a prophet, priest, and king. And the Holy Spirit, the faith giver, sanctifies us, setting us apart individually for a special purpose in God's kingdom. The Spirit gives new life. He works faith in our hearts. He inspired the scriptures to be written. He dwells in us. He strengthens our faith and our resolve to live a more godly life today, tomorrow, and always. And the effect of this righteousness is peace. A peaceful dwelling with God forever in a secure home prepared for us by Christ in heaven in our eternal and undisturbed place of rest where we will praise God together forever. Amen. For our stewardship thought, we pray. Gracious God, you send blessings now each morning all our days. For your mercy is never ending. For your love, we offer praise. Amen.